Welcome to the Melt Zone podcast. It is Star Wars Day, May the 4th. Be with you. <laughs> I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And in this really long episode today, we are talking about Tom's bad investigations that he already, well, posted a first video on and where he will be continuing his research walk in a second video. On other projects, I have been working and I'm still working on nozzle tests and nozzle wear tests. Um, how do nozzles wear? What the effect of nozzle wear is? Tom has been working on his universal test platform, his Mendel 9000, which he might be using in the future to test uh, different bads, hot ends, where he can just switch them out really easily. And he's also been doing bit of house renovation in the couple of days when spring has sprung <laughs> on the news prusa printers or joseph prusa or prusa research they have been releasing their news new prusa printers platform where you can share your 3d printing designs but also the g-code that is connected to that and we'll talk about some risks um, that is potentially posed by putting well harmful g-code in the g-code files that, that you can share there also they have been adding the kind of rough locations of prusa printers that were sold during well since prusa is selling 3d printers on a big map and um, some see that as a risk of privacy and uh, we'll just share our thoughts on that prusaprinters.com by prusa research by joseph prusa <laughs> yeah uh in other topics people have been printing glass printing actual glass though it's a pretty special glass they've been printing uh, a uav frame from metal from titanium and that is you know an achievement because it is so large it's half a meter large and they have also printed a a heart or at least what they say is a heart um and we're gonna discuss you know what what to think of that even though we are not biochemist engineers we are a different type of engineer but yeah um that's that and in the topic of the week are we paid youtubers we take a self-critical look at our sources of income and how it ties us to uh, manufacturers and how it makes us dependent on them and you know what we need to do to uh you know keep our moral compass straight and to you know work at this stuff with a clear mind and without external pressures and lastly for a quick question why do we hate 3d printing or what do we hate about fdm 3d printing so you actually released this week the first episode of your heated bad investigations analysis yeah analysis when's the when's the second part coming out because uh, it was really interesting Here's the thing, when you when you make a two-parter and you've halfway recorded the second part and you've done all the tests, you of course get all the feedback from the first part and it's like, okay, I've done that maybe not perfectly, I've not done that perfectly, I probably should test that as well. So it's probably going to be another week until I get everything done. Okay, so you will be doing further analysis yes. maybe. Yes. And not just only writing up and and um yeah, getting everything out. Yeah, so what's what's still coming in, in, in part two is uh the fan that's on the bed people have yep. asked hey why not actually use the fan itself that's on the printer but that's different from printer to printer and i actually want to test the the bed 
build up the way the belts mm -hmm. are built and not the specific printer um a warping test how much a bed warps during heat up cool and what else yeah some detailed min max analyses on, on the temperatures on the bed but um i will probably i've already done those but i'll probably be redoing those um a lot of people have commented that the emissivity of the surfaces are different and yes they are but they're not drastically different prusha has sent me a, a twitter dm and he was like dude you probably should paint your uh your mark III's bed as well <laughs> and i'm probably going to do that to all printers i'm going to ruin some good pei but hey it's all in the name for science so uh, what I actually did, I don't know if it's if it's really usable for for your analysis, but I just put blue tape over over the beds when I did the analysis on on a couple of them. Yeah, um, yeah, that might screw up the the absolute value, but um, relative to each other, they should be still kind of in sync. True, true. I mean. One of the easy ways to, to actually measure a surface temperature is, to, for example, to put a black electrical tape over it. Uh, if mm -hmm. you just have one of those infrared thermist uh, thermistors, thermometers. And that works, but I don't want to like skew the beds themselves so much. Because if you have tape, especially, is a pretty thick layer. It's like another layer of PI. And especially mm -hmm. for the fan test, that is going to, to screw with the results. Yep. If I just have some paint, it's really bonded on there pretty well and it's a thin layer so it shouldn't affect the results much um but tape is just i think it's too thick especially if it's blue tape um there may be a less invasive option to or alternative to painting it like candle soot apparently is pretty good at, at this sort of stuff ah, okay yeah but i don't really want want you know a candle over you know pi bed i think that's going to screw it up just as well as, as just painting over it just paint them and then get a big bucket of uh, paint stripper and get everything off there again because uh, the pi i think the pi is pretty resistant resistive against it should uh, be against um lösungsmittel solute uh, uh, solvents. solvents yeah <laughs> yeah the, but the, the problem is, is uh, paint... with with the machines where you have um, a non-removable heat bed that's going to be harder the only that one you really that comparison is the uh load spot the end right? of three and the end of three yeah yeah but the end of three has one of those built Build tech clones on there anyway tech. so those are you know a few bucks a pop so don't don't really care much about those but um yeah the low spot mini has a nice pi sheet on there um and of course the pusha is the um the powder coated one so that's at least that side is going to be ruined but thankfully, they're now out in the wild, and you can you can get new ones if you need to. And you have two sides. Yeah, I don't actually have any spares. I gave my spares to you. Yeah, I have a spare. You can have mine. I'll yeah, send no, you mine. I'll, I'll ask Prusa to, to send me some more. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they they have more in stock now because I already heard a couple heard, heard a couple of guys complaining that they also finally want to get theirs, and I still think they are so awesome. I just yeah. I just made a customer print like a week ago uh which was like a frame for a small television that goes on a storefront right and the powder coated pi surface gives it such a nice professional look it doesn't look 3d printed anymore it yeah. just looks awesome oh i, oh, I love it <laughs> yeah 3d printed parts especially fdm parts are always just so so regular and perfect mm -hmm. and, and you know all the layers are perfectly stacked up and having that bit of texture in there not only blends in that glossy or otherwise you know uniform first layer but it also yeah. gives it a, a bit more of an organic touch yeah yeah 
it's nice. And there, there are some, well, knockoff or, or clone coded bits out there now. Um, uh, hackers. I believe I, they, they have one that is they have very close ones. Yeah. I would love to have one for my Wambam build system. So like a, a big, just a bigger sheet because um, I actually printed the frame for the television in two parts because that way I was able to get it on, uh, get it printing on the Prusa. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have been a perfect fit for a bigger, bigger printer. But in order to get the surface finish, I, I just yeah. had to cut it into pieces. Yeah. Have, have you actually... So you, you've got your wham-bam bed on the uh, Artillery X1 on the... What's the, their full company name? Sidewinder yeah, X1, right? Uh, the company name used to be Ar Artillery. Supposedly, they're now known by the name Ivnovo or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sidewinder X1, that's the model. Right. So the Sierra clone. Uh, yep. Have you ever pointed uh, your FLIR camera on the, at that bed? Because it's it's the same layer buildup as the Loadspot Mini, I believe, where it's just the silicone, silicone heater. Silicone nope, heater, yeah. Did, didn't do that so far, but I might be doing that later if you're interested in that. May, maybe pretty interesting. To, in order to see the, the if there's also a pattern like um, you have seen on, yeah. on your Loadspot. Little spot, little spot. Yeah, because the, there's no there's no heat spreader in there. It's just you, mm. you, you directly see that silicone pattern or that, the heater pattern from the silicone heater. Yeah, yeah. What have you been working on? So finally, just like in two hours from now, my layer adhesion or layer thickness video will be released. Ah, I'm really nice. looking forward for the feedback. Um. But also in that regard, I was thinking for quite a while how actually... So I, I used to print a lot of different materials. And once upon a time, I noticed that my nozzle was worn out. Even how, though how I do didn't, you notice that? I noticed that when I changed it. Because okay. it was like roundish in the front. Um, and I really thought about, okay, there are probably a couple of people around there who used to print like wood fill and glow in the dark filament and they do not even know that they are wearing out their nozzle that way and i thought about okay how, how could i test in a kind of scientific manner uh what actually the difference of printing results is if uh, right. the nozzle is wearing out I, so, I thought you were gonna say oh how can i test what wears a nozzle out and i was gonna say oh poor nozzles oh <laughs> i i'm actually doing that at the moment okay. so <laughs> Ruining nozzles for science. Ruining nozzle for, nozzles for science. So I actually bought a couple of like cheap Chinese yeah, E3D, so uh, E3D knockoff nozzles. Um, and I'm using them for the test. So I already tested does filament glow in, glow in the dark. Right. And I wasn't able to wear out my nozzle. I was... <laughs> I was so unhappy about that because I have seen pictures on Reddit where people said like after half a kilo of glow in the dark filament, they were able to like poke the whole strand of filament through the nozzle because everything what? was worn out. That's crazy. That's crazy. But, uh, I, I be but I believe dust filament use like slightly smaller glow in the dark particles. Um, they're different maybe. sizes, different chunks. I've, I've so talked to Roman about that. Yeah. So, so I, I think they keep that in mind when, when making yeah. it. And they don't write something on like their web page that their filament is wearing out. And I, I oh, talked to them no and I said, "Oh, you, you, sir, there's no disclaimer. There's no disclaimer there." Oh, okay. Ooh, well, if yeah. it, I mean, if it's accurate, <laughs> I guess that's that's fine, right? 
I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll still give it a try. They're also using the, um, how's the, the pigment called, um, uh, strontium illuminate. I think it's called strontium, strontium illuminate, which right. is the pigment that is used for the glow in the dark filaments. Uh, I, I'll still give it a try and really just print like big chunks of material. And then after like in 100 gram, gram intervals check the nozzle diameter and just uh, take a look at the nozzle itself with a macro lens right but i just didn't see anywhere there but there are probably still other filaments out there uh, which are using uh, strontium illuminate from other manufacturers or different sizes and things that will still wear out your nozzle since I was disappointed, I switched to carbon fiber filament now. And this, this is really doing its job. And currently I'm just, I'm just like printing like these, these big chunks of carbon fiber in the basement. Right. Uh, people will scream at me, like wasting this for precious. Science. It's for, for science. science. Um, like wasting that filament, but I really want to see. How does a nozzle wear? So um, does in the first place the geometry of the nozzle change? Does the diameter of the orifice in the front change? Yeah. And things like these. Are you going to do some some half grinds? Yes, I already did that. Yeah. Uh, so sorry for everyone who is not watching on YouTube. I actually um, used my CNC router this morning to cut open like a new Chinese nozzle. Just okay. to take a look uh, at the section, how does the internal uh, nozzle look like? And I'll also be doing the same thing with the nozzle that is currently printing like 100 gram blocks of carbon Very fiber nice. filament. <laughs> um, so I think it's really interesting because I am actually only just using hardened steel nozzles on my on my Prusa because these are the nozzles that don't wear out. I don't really have to think about uh, what material I'm printing and all of these things. So um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I also like I have nozzles with diameters starting from 0.4 all the way to 0.8 millimeters. I just yeah. printed benches with the same G-code with div different nozzle diameters just to find out right. what so you, changes in terms of print quality. You're doing uh, the and simulation with like actually different diameters. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. And uh, it's also interesting to just really do one of these half cuts of, of these nozzles and take a look on the... Uh, Chinese machine surfaces on the inside, which you don't really see usually. Is so, there a difference? Everyone, everyone's always saying they're just as good as the, the genuine ones. So I think they might be similarly good in terms of printing quality. Um, the machining tolerances and all of the things, they are totally different to the genuine E3D nozzles. Yeah. And I already noticed that. So I do um, regularly cold pulls um, on like during this nozzle yep. test now and also uh, just to clean out my nozzle from time to time and this gives you a perfect imprint of the internal surface yep. and i already noticed when i used like the the chinese knockoffs uh that you have huge machining marks on the inside and this just shows again and proves that really my cold pulling technique is a suitable way to yep take a look on the internal surfaces of, of a nozzle. And you can also use that to just 
well, you do a cold pull, you take your, your calipers and you can measure the diameter of the nozzle and find out if it is worn out or not. And yeah. that's, I think it's a pretty nice and interesting technique because not everyone has precision measuring instruments and drills in all different sizes where you that you can stick through the nozzle in order to find out if your nozzle is worn out or not you could also use the um that nozzle cleaning kit yeah that that r3 cord we're handing out at uh <laughs> at murf this year yes uh those those I, I, are 50 or 100 micron increments I think a hundred micron increments. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they are not marked. So I, in the first place, need to right. need to find out which nozzle has uh, or which needle has which diameter. Grab a, grab a micrometer <laughs> and just measure them out. Um, I've actually been using those to to just clean nozzles, and they're working pretty well. Nice thing. Have you yeah. actually? So, just speaking of um, hardened steel nozzle nozzles, uh, do you think there is a difference in terms of print quality and temperatures and settings you need to use when you are using something different than we, we a have brass actually nozzle. talked about this before on the podcast i believe have um, we? okay but in my experience and you've I, i've read your tweet about that as well yeah. um we're both printing on the hot end of, of things um pla yeah. 210 215 i have not noticed a real difference between hardened and you know uh, brass nozzles but for the same reason that you've pointed out it's probably because we're already on the hot end hot 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 <laughs> end of the spectrum <laughs> of where you should be printing your materials um and so far I, I just use them just like a brass nozzle okay i've not noticed anything this is also something i really want to do uh i have now finally nicely gathered all of my nozzles that i have okay. and i really want to find out if if there is a difference between using like different materials for the nozzle do you actually have a ruby nozzle i do have two yes um, could, could you maybe borrow me one i, I can i can ship one over to you yeah it's a standard e3d 0.4 okay um, i've had my padawan tested um or okay. had the, the other one the uh, used one now um and it's like ah, it's it's not i mean thermals he, he was like getting uh, issues with getting enough heat into the filament because ruby or what is it? Aluminum oxide essentially is not that great at conducting heat. Okay. Um, so he was having some issues with, you know, similar to how a stainless steel nozzle would perform. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll ship one out to you. Remind me once once we're done recording here. <laughs> that would be perfect because I don't really want to spend a hundred bucks on one of these nozzles if I don't know how, yeah. if they are probably working. And I'm quite happy with the nozzle access I got at at Murph. Um, by the way, have you ever heard anything about the nozzle X sucks story by the guy who has? He, I think he actually was at Murph and apologized to Sanjay, as far as I can remember. So the, the entire story was a bust, essentially. I, th I think it essentially was a bust. Okay. So it, I think so it was. I'm, a I'm I'm not doing a disservice to viewers by by lying to you by by presenting <laughs> false facts of what I've been accused to. Is that is that what I take from it? Probably yes. All right. <laughs> yeah. But but as as I heard, it was a pretty good deal for the mosquito hot end guys because they also have a <laughs> uh, kind of a similar nozzle yeah. and their their sales just like skyrocket. <laughs> uh, well. So the the thing is, um, or the question for me is, if it is really worth in, in or 
if it's worth investing in one of these more expensive nozzles, just how much is the nozzle X? Do you, do you know? Is it twenty five bucks? Uh, I don't know. Which is, I mean, it's, it's pretty expensive for that small bit of metal. But I, if it's a nozzle, you're just gonna have forever, and that prints everything. Like, yes, I don't think that's that's too outrageous. It's twenty two pounds fifty pence. Okay, so like fifteen euros. <laughs> uh, no, like thirty euros. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no not, not, not that much. Brexit has has taken its toll on uh, on how much the pound is worth. Probably around twenty five bucks. Yeah, uh, it, it's still just one fourth of a ruby nozzle. I really know yes. that the idea of having a ruby in your nozzle sounds kind of compelling. Yeah, it's it's just such a, a cool idea, yeah. right? You have you have that gemstone in there. It's, yeah, mm. I- <laughs> and it does look really cool. Yeah. So I have been using the Nozzle X for, well, since I got back from Murph, I'm totally happy with it. Uh, I did not have any issues so far, I think. I had issues during my layer height test that the 0.05 millimeter parts, I had jams from time to time. This could be a reason for using that nozzle, but or that could just be the reason that printing FDM printing in 0.05 millimeter layers <laughs> is just a bad idea. Yeah. So what, what what was jamming? The standard nozzle or the nozzle X? Uh, the standard, uh, sorry, the nozzle X was jamming. Oh, so I only jam- used the nozzle X. Okay. There. I don't know if that was the reason. This is okay. the only thing I noticed so far, but otherwise I'm I'm really happy with the nozzle. And it doesn't rust as the as the old hardened steel nozzles. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. Uh, I mean, if it rusts on the outside, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just that it doesn't look that pretty. So. Right. Um, I've I've also been working on getting, you know, something that I can test more things on uh, working. I mean, I, I feel like you were doing all this stuff that, you know, people were loving about my channel. I'm, I'm kind of looking at you in envy and I'm like, okay, yeah, you, Stefan gets it. Um <laughs> I don't, I don't want to steal that from you. No, no, no. no. <laughs> there's, there's an, uh, that's always my approach with also Joe, Angus, uh, all the other uh, people who are doing content on, on 3D printing. There's so much stuff to investigate. Like there's enough for everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm bad with other things. <laughs> I'm good in investigations. I'm not good in doing like reviews and things like this. So I probably stick to those. Well, um, but I've I've also wanted to do those things again i mean i i know i've 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 been doing those in in like the earlier days of the channel um but my problem was always okay if you're doing like a heated bed test or a hardened test or one of those things you're always screwing with one printer that is then never going to be the same again um for example i've had the mosquito prototypes um and one of my prusa mark ii's now is permanently mutilated um by by cramming that mosquito hardened in there it's always this huge pain to to test individual components we're testing a new bed or a new electronics platform so yeah um and this project has been two years in the making <laughs> it's the the mendel 9000 i've i've been you know finding a few hours here and there to to get that working and i think the only thing that's left to do is to hook up the heated bed and a sensor and then it should be printing so i've got to do it in there now to do it wi-fi that i've been familiar familiarizing myself with uh in preparation for building the mpcnc 
And yeah, I'm, I'm really liking that printer. And the idea is everything is modular. Everything is laid out on a grid where I can just, you know, swap out a, the belt for the X-axis and try something else. Or, you know, the hot end, the entire X-carriage is literally just a cheese plate with a 12.5 millimeter grid of M4 <laughs> holes. So everything just bolts onto that. And if I want to change the extruder, okay, that comes off. The sensor stays on there. That's the idea with that. So hopefully that should be ready within the next few weeks. And I can I can test components again cool yeah I, I really like the efforts that you also want to if you test something you want to do it properly and yeah. in a kind of scientific way uh, i think this is this was all, always something which well you've done better like, than me yes i know i know <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't put it in that direction, but you also have like this, um, this approach to things. I don't know if it's like a German approach, but to make it properly, to make, Possibly. to, to be happy with the results, to not, uh, have people asking you, have you set up everything properly? Is that really comparable and things like these? And I, I really think that is, that this is a good thing and, and using, like your your modular platform for that now it's i th i think a great approach and there are so many topics out there where this this could be usable yeah um i mean what what i've always tried to do is to kind of limit myself and how geeky and how technical i want to get on these tests um i mean which was very apparent in the philween series your film and tests are way more in depth mine were just like okay same three tests basically and then you know have a quick score so it's easily comparable um but what you do is, is you, you you don't stop there and you don't go okay this is this is uh the easily digestible stuff you actually go in depth and then make that more easily digestible so i'm not sure if i'm ever going to get on that level because i'm well that's that's what you do really well so <laughs> don't want to compete there but um yeah testing things and testing components i think especially on something where you you can change one variable by itself is is kind of important um and yeah so far what which printer do i tear apart next for uh well the, the final mosquito hot end review should i do that <laughs> on the old mark ii again or do i mutilate my my mark three or do it on, on a creality printer which i don't think does the hot end justice it's just yeah but the uh, mental 9000 and uh, 9000 9000 <laughs> <laughs> just slightly sliding back, back to german the mental 9000 is actually your creation so it's, it's like a beefed up mendel 90 it's so it's still Wait a second. So my, my first the the printer that I built for myself, the first one was a was a Pusha i3 V2 or Mark no i2, sorry, the Pusha i2. Um so triangular frame and slightly larger than the, the stock one. That I converted into a Mendel 90 and then I rebuilt that into a sorry, into a double width um thick plywood 12 millimeter 12 millimeter rails uh Mendel 90 generated from the original files because that's the great thing about the Mendel 90 knobhead did a fantastic job here um of just allowing you to change okay i want to use different rods and it creates new uh, sdl files for you mm -hmm. so that was that and then i rebuilt the entire thing again by now using linear rails on everything except for the y-axis but that can that can come later um using you know that modular modular approach um so yeah most of the parts are designed from scratch but at its core, it's still a Mendel 90. Cool. Still the same frame. <laughs> but why no linear rails on the on the y-axis if you have them on the z-axis? Uh, I just haven't put 
any on. Um, and for the Y-axis, I, I don't see that much of an incentive to, to use them because it's already 12 millimeter rails with you know a big wide distance between them okay there's not i mean there, there are no dynamic forces on that if it's on the z-axis yeah you have the dynamic forces from the from the tool head there mm -hmm. that makes sense um but on the y-axis it's like uh, okay yeah you're right there yeah and in other projects <laughs> I'm looking outside if, if you've noticed that the lighting today is slightly different it's because i don't have the blinds down because i can't put the blinds down because the house is getting renovated and yeah that's been something that the last few weeks have been keeping me busy with um because we, we were just going to take off the wooden facade and, and have it stuccoed over but things got out of hand and now we're doing like a full 12 centimeter uh styrofoam insulation on the entire thing and uh yeah that's been my uh, learning topic over the last few weeks and uh, you know prepping all that and, and the next few weeks we're going to be installing it yay yay <laughs> but i do like working with my hands and we've we've quickly touched on that before we started recording this um i really enjoy working on stuff on physical stuff where at the end of the day you can look at it and go like okay this is this is what i did today I can be proud of I see what I've what I've achieved today. Maybe not be, be too proud of the stuff <laughs> I do because it never turns out the way you think it does. But just that 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 physical creating is something that you you, you kind of lose when you're just doing 3D printing and video editing. And and 3D printing is so CAD heavy, so so heavy on the computer side that I, I, I do enjoy that where you have something you take your, your cordless really screw that thing in and it, now it's there um I totally understand that yeah and i fully recommend to to anyone out there who is doing you know 3d printing or has a job that is very heavy in working with computers just have something where you can create physical stuff it's just such a <laughs> such a joy I was on holiday for the last two weeks, so well, I I didn't work on my normal job, and I thought, oh yeah, this will be the time where when I can finally uh, make some videos. But I have actually just been spending like time on outside in the garden, around the house, in the shed, resurrecting my old Vespas, and and all of these things, and I totally enjoyed them um, to a certain point. Uh, if if you in the end you should always have a like a healthy mixture between both because like it's recreational work if i'm working on the in the garden outside but still at some point i wish to get back to like fusion 360 and to do some cat design True. because i can i can like relax my body a little bit and work with my brain again <laughs> yeah yeah physical stuff very nice to do as a uh, Ausgleich. Uh, Two Germans struggling for the word. Um, yeah, what, what get, are you getting doing? Getting back in into balance. Yes, balancing out your, your digital work. Cool. Should we talk about some digital stuff that's been happening lately? Yes, and you have been ranting, ran, ranting about that. No, no, I've, I've not been. I've not been <laughs> ranting about you it. Been, I've, yeah, I've you just, have been. You have been concerned. Yes. I just put up my, my finger like, hey, <laughs> hey guys, uh, have, have you thought about that? So what we're talking about here is the PrusaPrinters.com, I believe, um, website that Prusa has launched. And it's a few things. So it's an alternative to Thingiverse. 
so you can upload STLs. You can also upload uh, G-code files for Prusa printers, which we're going to touch on in a second. Um, and it's also a community building platform, I guess, where you can find Prusa owners near you. Um, so let's let's go through those piece by piece, I guess. So think about sharing. Prusa has um, contracted a few designers um, that are pretty well known in the in the community. Um, I think Floristic is, is uh, designing for them. Yes. Wex Wexter. Yeah, the the yes the the modeling guy. Oh, his designs are gorgeous. Yeah. So it's kind of like a My Mini Factory almost where it's, you know, contracted designs or, or paid for designs that are then put out there into the wild. So so the designers, I, I guess, are earning from uh, their deal with Prusha, I assume. And but if you're talking about like paid designs, no, no, are okay, there yes. designs or is there at the moment the possibility to like sell something on that platform? No, the... so. Prusa is providing uh, or is having like a Thingiverse approach where everything is free. I was just talking about how the designers um, get paid for their work. I believe, I hope that if if you if someone like like Floristico or, or uh, Wexter is is Wexter. designing for the Prusa platform, that they are compensated somehow for that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. But they're also doing G code sharing. So the idea is to have like a G code repository where people can upload their printed files where they're like, okay, I printed this on the Mark III and it turned out like that. And if you want the exact same result, you can download my G-code and print it on your own machine. And that sounds interesting on paper. Mm-hmm. The issue though is, which I'm, I'm sure you're aware of as well, because if you follow the Twitter threads, um, <laughs> is, is that G-code is... G-Code is more than an STL. G-Code allows you to basically take full control over a printer. And it's not just, you know, what it prints, but it, it, it goes so much further in depth. Like I've, I've postulated on, on Twitter, like, okay, what are they doing against, um, for example, overheating the hot end um, or driving the hot end into the bed and, and breaking the PI and breaking the heat break and in that. What are they doing against... Um, say setting a super slow maximum speed and then saving that to EEPROM. It's it's two lines of G code. Mm-hmm. So apparently Prusa is doing some scanning on on the G codes. I don't know if it's manual review. It sounds like there's a human involved at some point. Um but I'm sure there's some automatic, you know, if there's an M five hundred in there which is the save to EEPROM command. Mm-hmm. Uh if that's in there then you know it's gonna throw a flag. Not sure what exactly they're they're doing, but I will be still testing it I'm, I'm keeping Prusa on their toes. I, I don't want them to know, okay, this week Tom is, is trying to sabotage our platform, but I'll try to ruin one of my Prusa printers and I'll, I'll you know, show it to Prusa and be like, hey, dude, by the way, G-code from your platform ruined my printer if I, if I achieve that. So I'm not sure how far I'm going to get, but there's a lot you can do with G-code. That would make, make actually a good clickbaity title. Prusa ruined my Prusa. <laughs> Prusa ruined my Prusa. Manipulating prusa research <laughs> hacking prusa printers.com <laughs> yeah everything is is, ha- is a hack now mm-hmm. um yeah i don't i don't know if actually also the idea behind sharing g codes is because for example i'm currently taking a look at one of the models from 
Wexter, and he is only sharing the G-code file. So only the, the G-code, not the STL? Only the G-code, as far as I, mm. I'm concerned. Yes, uh, at least for this model right here. Link to the source model files. So ah, okay, for, the so since the source model files are on, on my mini factory. But okay. the idea behind that could be that people are not getting the physical STL model and cannot distribute that any further. People can download it from there. People can only download it, it for their Prusa printers. And but, so uh, some of the... Some uh, well, some of the creation you did stays more under your control. Well, if you're saying it's a, it's like a copyright protection mechanism, um, there are studies out there that can reconstruct the model from G code. Yes, and of course you can 3D scan your print. Of yes. gives you pretty but, but this result, is just but, not something yeah. totally common. True, true. Yeah. Um, it was just an idea, as I yeah, said. Yeah, um, it, it it could be that too. Um. Yeah, so of course, if it's trusted designers like, you know, the, the designers that Prusa contracted to design for PrusaPrinters.com, then I wouldn't have a problem mm. printing those G-codes mm. um, because trustworthy people, it's, you know, sanctioned by, by Prusa. They, they've, they've commissioned that. So all good. But if, if random people can, can upload G-codes, I'm sure there's going to be some maybe not dangerous stuff, but definitely some trolly stuff in there. Mm. Yes. Yeah, um, and the other thing that that people were kind of well concerned about was the location sharing um, that they have. Prusa World. <laughs> How did he? He he actually almost put it like Steve Jobs always did in his keynotes. We call it Prusa World <laughs> in his blog post or something like that. I was really <laughs> I laughing. Didn't, I didn't notice that. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so what what Prusa are doing is they are. To the dismay of a lot of, of users, um, they have published a map of basically all the Prusa printers out there in the wild. So apparently they've worked with their distributors. Does Prusa have distributors? Do, do they only sell directly? I think they only sell directly. Okay. But anyways, Prusa has published a map of all the Prusa owners out there. Um, and you can... My dog's howling because the phone's ringing downstairs. Okay. <laughs> Um, you might actually hear that in the background. Um, so, sorry. Prusa has published a map of all the uh, Prusa owners out there, of all the Prusa printers, and you can you can go in on a pretty low level, and it's down to zip codes, for examples. And some German zip codes are like one or two houses. Um, also, in other parts of the world, zip codes are apparently pretty specific. Now. Apparently, originally it had like a bit of, of fizziness, fuzziness to it where it wasn't exactly on the address, but was like randomly placed. But still, on, on a few occasions, it got pretty close. I think it was like 50 or 100 meters. Um, and, you know, if there's not a lot around where you ordered your, your printer, where you live, then that's obviously where you are. Now, that is a bit of a privacy issue obviously um and the fact that you're not like agreeing to that but you have to opt out mm -hmm. you have to actually register or claim that printer and then remove your marker from the map mm -hmm. uh, yeah not not super happy with it so what they did is they i think that they randomized the positioning a bit more i think they increased it to like up to a kilometer or 500 meters of of randomness to to locations where there's less dense areas 
Um, but still, not sure what I should think about it. And I'm not sure if it, if, if, if that approach of what they're doing is actually going anywhere. Um, because you're aware of what they're trying to do, right? Yes, of course. And I found it really interesting to see how many people just in my small town obviously have Prusa printers. Yeah. Yeah. So what but, do you what you can do with um with that marker on the map? You can you can claim that and then you can say, okay, I'm I'm providing uh print on demand, I'm providing workshops, and I'm providing technical so support or something along yeah. those lines. And of course, obviously if you see a big empty map, you're not very it's not very likely that you're going to go in and, and be like the one dot on the map. Mm. Um, but if it's a map that already has 150,000 uh, other dots on it, then sure, you may be a bit more more likely to sign up. Uh, I don't know. Not entirely happy with that. There is already something similar for, I think, for the RepRap community. Or there is, yeah. Have I seen it on Facebook? There this is an official RepRap map, but I think that's... That's been relevant the last time, like three or four years ago. Okay. So that I don't think that's particularly well used and well visited. Mm. But that that's for every sort of printer, not just for Prusa printers. I find the I find the approach interesting and also the idea interesting that you well can see that there are also other geeks around you which you could just get in contact with and yeah just um, hang around with them. But also on the other side, there is the privacy issue, definitely. Um, yeah. And of course, Germans are very concerned about privacy. We're like the people that, you know, always shout, oh, but privacy, privacy, privacy. <sighs> yeah. But in the end, we all use Facebook and, and Google on our phones and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what Push has been up to. Um, it's a nice approach and given that I mean, um, the, the, uh, the file sharing thing, if you mm. leave out the G-code part of it. Yep. It's nice seeing that there's more than just you imagine and Thingiverse. And my mini factory, possibly. But <laughs> it's, I, I think it's not bad that they're doing that Thingiverse, even though this is still the go-to platform for me. Just like, ah, uh, it gets weirder and weirder over time. You it's slow you don't really see that they're doing something on that page they're not yeah. like introducing more features my manufacturer is getting better and better but um their many designers are sharing their things which you have to pay for which is we already talked about that last time which is nice on one hand but on the other side um you you just can't download anything anymore um so really i've I, not I, used my mini factory for a while okay um there's there's both but uh right. i think still the well the most parts you still get on my on thingiverse this is as i said my go-to platform where i also share all of my designs i think it's a good approach what they're doing um they're still working on it heavily as just i have read in between the lines um and yeah, let's see where, where they're getting. Yeah. And if they are locking out like <laughs> creality printer users. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be interesting if I can register my, my clone pusher machines. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll get a direct call from, from Jason. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, what else has happened? Um, people have been printing three things. So like research stuff. Uh, MIT, I believe. No, COPL, not MIT. COPL is uh, printing glass, actual glass. Uh, we are. Someone has printed a Aeroswift has printed a 0.5 meter UAV frame, so a drone quadcopter frame. And there's been a 3D printed heart. <laughs> a heart shaped object. But let's start with the glass. So let me pull up this. No, that's the heart article. Um, and this is from 3dprintingindustry.com. And the. Uh, oh God, that's a French name. I cannot pronounce that. Um, but yeah, researchers from the COPL um, are printing. Chip. Ch- Chelsogenite glass. Chelsogenite, yeah. Which apparently is a glass that melts at 330 degrees or it gets soft around 330 degrees. Um, And if if you know like the rough regions that, um, you know, our 3D printing materials work in, that's not that far off. And what they've used is a Creality printer. And, you know, looking at it again, there's two heaters. So they've got a two-stage um, heating element on there on what looks like an E3D V6. There's a bit more captain, so it might be a cloned V6. I don't know. But they're using a pretty standard hardened with a bit of a modification to get more heat into it. Um, and, yeah, they, they're doing FDM prints with shell glass. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure there's an application for that. They have been writing something about, well, parts for optical applications, which yeah. might be really interesting because you have... Oh, come on, optical applications with an FDM printer? Yeah. Like, ah. Uh. <laughs> but the, I mean, the, the interesting yeah, okay. thing is uh, glass is actually... Glass is very similar to what our polymers are or our plastics like PLA, ABS. Those are more similar to glass than to... You know, when, when people say, okay, just use some some solder and put it in your heart. And that's a fundamentally different uh, material because what a glass and a polymer does is it doesn't have like a melting point, like where it, mm-hmm. from say 330 degrees, it's it's solid and 331, it's liquid. It doesn't do that, but it, it just gets soft. Um, and the hotter you get it, the more liquid it gets. So glass essentially is very, very similar to what our polymers do. Again, the PLA, ABS also don't have like a strict melting point, but they just get softer and stickier the more you heat them up. So it, it just makes sense that they would be printing glass on an FDM setup. Yeah, I and think. As, I've, I've, as I've said um, before, when we were not streaming yet, uh, streaming, recording the podcast yet. We should be streaming uh, these. <laughs> there's there's pretty should, good we, software for that out there. Yeah, uh, I actually was in Boston like two years ago, and I also visited the MIT Museum, which was a bit underwhelming. Um, there were some interesting things there, but yeah, I have expected more. Uh, anyways, there were also glass 3D printed objects. So um, the MIT is the well home of 3D printing, more or less. So SLA. 3D printing was, I think, invented there. And yeah, anyways, so they were also 
like just showing off some parts that they 3D printed with glass, but with more conventional glass where the melting temperatures are way higher than the 330 degrees um, that they are like claiming uh, in in that article right here. And uh, this is pretty challenging. So the parts they were showing were more or less just like vase parts, because if you're working at, at these high temperatures, you have huge problems with um, internal stresses that just like uh, you get during the cooling down uh, yeah. time and also things like the material sticking if it's molten to everything which is in your melt zone path um, the melt zone itself has to be made from totally different materials that the ones you kind of know from conventional FDM manufacturing and also just getting the layers of glass to stick to each other and then not shattering everything is something really challenging, obviously. And also, uh, yeah, speaking of that, they have, I think, been working on a second version of their glass 3D printer, which I thought would be the topic we would be talking about today. Right. So if you guys are interested, also MIT is doing something in uh, the direction of glass 3D printing. Yeah, and obviously with, with any high temperature material, you do face pretty much the same challenges, warping, adhesion like you mentioned all those things it's kind of like polycarbonate on steroids yeah um and yeah if you want to know more about this topic this is actually an open access paper um called 3d printing of arsenic ar arsenic sulfide chalcogenic glasses so the the, the chalcogenic glass is just one part of it it's it's arsen ar the the toxic stuff i guess sulfide glasses yeah. um but yeah you, you can read that entire thing it is open access which we very much appreciate cool um let's do these next two quickly because ah god yeah. why are we rambling so much <laughs> uh 3d printed uav quadcopter drone frame uh swift tech has printed a really large metal drone frame and to me, I mean, that's it's it's yeah, it's a 3D print, but the, the big thing is it's a large metal 3D print, and maybe you know a bit more about that than I do. Um, because as I as I understand, it's pretty that's something that's not that trivial. No, it's it's not that trivial because also like there aren't many companies who are making these huge metal 3D printers. Um the normal build volume usually starts at like 120 millimeters and goes to like 250 to 300 millimeters like cubed. Um, so if they are talking about like more than half of a meter by half of a meter frame size, this is something that um, all of the machines can do. Yep. And this one is 542 by 542 by 141 millimeters. So yeah. a bit more than half a meter. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing, but still in my opinion and also with the experience i have with metal 3d printing it's just a horribly expensive process <laughs> true so i don't really know <sighs> well I, I i kind of know what such a frame will cost at today's market values but i probably can't share that number right here at the moment but it's horribly expensive and there need to be some real proper applications where you are able to um, spend that amount of money on, yeah. on things like these yeah and i'm and also thinking about 
is this 3D printed frame really be better than a carbon fiber <laughs> frame with just tubes? It looks it's cool. It's topologically optimized. I mean, it's topologically wow. optimized. It looks cool. Uh, but in the end, the question is always if, if it is, if it is really better than like conventional frames. Yeah. And if it's worth the extra cash and, you know, oh, flight time of 15 minutes, mm. 15 minutes. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too hard to achieve. It's but cool. It's really nice to see that metal 3D printing um, is more and more used. And also the companies who are making those machines and also the process themselves, uh, they're getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper over the years. Uh, but still, it's a horribly expensive process. And it's currently just not really applicable in all industries. Aerospace is something where it is applicable, but you still need to have a really proper uh, reason to spend that amount of money on on pots like these. But Obviously. if you want to have a really cool-looking quadcopter frame, <laughs> which is maybe also just weighs half of the weight than a, a conventional one, yeah, maybe maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, but maybe there are also other processes like you know custom laminating a, a carbon fiber part that gets you pretty much there as well at a fraction of the cost. Mm. As yeah, I said, maybe it's a combination of all might be the best thing in the end. I don't know. It's a nice showpiece. Um, and what you're saying <laughs> is they're, they're printed as two meters long by 0.6 by 0.6. So two meters metal 3D printed part, I can see how that's slightly challenging. Yeah. <sighs> Next topic, 3D <laughs> printed hard. I already said that <laughs> people just... <sighs> Talk to me at work. Oh, have you read that we are now finally able to 3D print hearts? So an Israeli, Israeli, Isra, how do you pronounce that? Israeli? Yeah. Is that, is it a company or is it a research in institute? So th they have been like 3D printing a heart. That's what they're claiming. Uh, in my opinion, it's more like a heart shape object. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we don't want to dis... God, why does CNN have this crazy auto-playing video? God damn it. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So, yeah, um, we, we don't want to discredit the, the work that they've done. No, here. definitely so not. You're, you were just slightly breaking up, but... So uh, they have been using cells, well, like human cells, human stem cells, um, which they are using to recreate a, well, biological component in that 3D printer, which is more or less using like two syringes in a bath of some liquid. And I think the cells are also like suspended in aerogel or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they're claiming that they have been printing with these stem cells, really the muscle structure of the heart and also the... How do you call it? Venen, uh, the veins, the yeah. uh, arteries. Um, it's it's not a fully working heart at the moment. They recreated the shape. They are claiming that the cells are able to contract or move, uh, but not in a really organized manner. Yeah. <sighs> the... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get the autoplaying video too? I get the autoplaying video, sorry. God damn it, CNN, you got to stop that. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the big thing here is it's a 
so what this essentially is it's a biocompatible chunk of muscle um that has the shape of art um and the the biocompatible thing is actually pretty important because if you get a heart transplant and it's like what is it wrong blood group no something along those lines where your your immune system recognizes it as a um or I, th- I think I think that's I, I've never had a heart transplant, so excuse my ignorance on this topic. But as far as I'm aware, that is a pretty pretty big issue. So heart transplant patients typically get to to take medication for the rest of their life or something. Immune suppress suppressants. Yeah, immune suppressants. Basically, yeah. to keep their body from recognizing that that heart and rejecting it and and kind of fighting it. Um, and this heart, because it's grown from stem cells that were extracted from the patient themselves, something along those lines. Um, It is essentially biologically the same as tissue from the patient. So that's great. That's fantastic. Um, And I think that's a, that's a, it's an achievement on itself to, to have that thing shaped in the way of a heart uh, and to, to get some functionality out of it. But of course it's not a one-to-one replacement of a heart. It's not, it doesn't have any nerves in it. It doesn't have, you know, it's, it's the size of a rabbit's heart is what they're saying. So they need to make it bigger. They need to make it, you know, actually functional. Um, and it's still like, it's, it's that 80, 20 problem, right? They've got like 80% of the visible progress. Oh yeah. We have something that looks like a heart. Well, that's like 20% of the work. Um, mm. Again, I'm no, I'm no neuroscientist. Uh, near, near, I don't know this stuff. Uh, I'm a mechatronics engineer, and you're a mechanical engineer. So, who knows? Maybe this is like the best, best thing ever. But um, I feel like there's a lot more work that needs to go into this until it's actually a full replacement for donated organs. And by the way, if you're not registered as a, as an organ donor, please do so. Like, if you're dead, like you're, you're not going to need those organs anymore. Yes. Um, it's it's a simple credit card size thing, at least here in Germany, that you can just get. You have yours on hand? Uh, no, it's <laughs> no, It looks like you're, you were reaching for something there. <laughs> Please register as an organ donor. It's a, it's a really good cause. And like it, you get nothing to lose. You're just helping people. So yep. um, until we get 3D printed hearts totally figured out, I think that's the best way, the best thing to do. Yeah. As I may be put it in the wrong way in the beginning i also really the efforts they made are are great the thing which bothered me a little bit is how the media picked that up so people were understanding it in a way that we now have 3d printed hearts and organ donations will be something which we don't need in the future yeah nah um but uh, it's 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 always that um I, I listen to a ton of podcasts that have you know actual researchers and actual scientists um commenting on on things uh and one of the issues apparently is that if you have you know if you're a researcher you don't put out those press releases your press department puts those out and you communicate that to your press department and they they kind of put put it into something that you know news outlets will pick up and then the news outlets put their own spin on things so what the researchers did is only like a tiny part and it's still a post, um, basically the rest of the way. So everyone kind of interprets the findings and the results in a slightly different way. And in the end, we have headlines like, oh, we now have a 3D printed heart. But on the other hand, it's it's yeah. also a good thing if media picks things like these up because it helps with funding of these projects. 
because it's way easier to get funding, further funding for projects like that if you have shown progress and also showed that progress openly because um, on the one hand, you might get investors and on the other hand, you might get research money from, like here in Germany, it's from the from the Bund. Um, yeah. And uh, But there's always this this fine line in between like just popular news, which ah, just like over over exaggerate things and the point that you need to show your work in a clickbaity way <laughs> yeah which is a perfect transition to our topic of the week we have set out to discuss uh, are we paid youtubers or do we do we do clickbait for the sake of aggregating views and selling printers are we paid by manufacturers yes. are we so I tweeted one and a half weeks ago, no, I don't feel like I am a paid YouTuber. But then just thinking about it for a couple of minutes, I thought, damn, I, of course I am a paid YouTuber. So yes, I am a paid YouTuber. You are a paid YouTuber. You make your living from YouTube. Yeah. I make part of my living from YouTube now. Of course we are paid YouTubers. Yeah. Though the question is, I mean, everyone needs to like buy food at the end of the month. But the question and the question and the differentiation is on what terms are you being paid? So, I mean, full disclosure, and this should be fairly obvious. Um, I have a ton of affiliate programs that I've signed up to. Um, I signed up with Amazon, obviously, eBay, Matterhackers, uh, Prusa. AliExpress. Who else? AliExpress. AliExpress. Yeah, Banggood have a, a uh, Gearbest. Gearbest. Oh yeah, Gearbest. So basically anywhere, any any respectable shop has some sort of an affiliate program. Even Adobe have a, an affiliate program. Like if you want to point people towards buying the creative suit that, you know, has apparently now going up in price, but that's a different thing. You can do that. So anything that people can buy online, if you're an influencer, which is such a fantastic <laughs> word, uh, if you're an influencer and you point people towards a product Typically, you're going to be earning with that because, you know, it, you would be dumb not signing up for the affiliate programs. The question, though, is... And my microphone's clipping. Sorry about that. The question, though, is does that influence your content? So, well, no. Let's take, let's take another step back. So that's affiliate programs. But what people typically think of when they hear, okay, you're, you're a paid influencer, you're a paid YouTuber, is company pays you to make a review. Or company pays you to make a positive review. That is actually something that is very much happening. <laughs> Stefan, have, have you gotten any of those emails yet? Of course. Yeah. So. And it, you were tempted to say, okay, because that make that can make you lots of money. I've never felt the temptation. <laughs> it's just, no. like. Yeah. Well, yes, of course, but, but we're all evil on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also like to drive a Lamborghini or something like that. But yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Continue. So, so the way those those sponsorships or whatever they you know would would be called sponsorships again are a different topic, and we're going to talk on that talk about that as well. So, straight up payment for a review. I have never accepted that, and will never accept that because I think it's it's the wrong thing to do. Um. But you have also already accepted like free printers. Is that also already a payment? That is correct. That um, was one of, I think, the big questions that came up at yeah. that point. 
Yeah. So is a is a machine a payment? Um, if you're so what what I believe if if you're just starting out and if you you're new to this and you have like one printer or two printers and somebody comes along and, and says hey I'm going to send you a, a free printer. Of course, that's an incentive to to well make a review on it. First of all, that I think that's a given. If someone sends you stuff, you at least kind of have to mention it. I feel like it because you've have, typically you're at least saying, "Okay, I'm gonna you know show this in an unboxing or something." Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you may also feel like thankful for that free printer. You may want to show your gratitude and be like, "Okay, yeah, actually, I, I did enjoy using that." For me. Another printer is just more space that it takes up. It's just like, okay, one more thing that either I have to make sure that I, I give out to someone or I tear it down once I'm done with the review or I keep and then it takes up space. I don't care about printers. I have all the printers I could ever want. Um, plus the printers that people typically send me are not something that I, I'm i like missing in my lineup. Um, so for me, because I have so many machines already, I don't care about another printer. So that's not really an incentive, I guess. Um, for some people, it can be. So, but what I also, for for me, what I also kind of seen that is, I never, I never sell printers. I never sell review samples that have been sent to me for free. I just think that's kind of immoral to do that because the manufacturer gave it to you for free, and you're now making money off of that. I'm, eh. hmm. I. I don't know. Something in me is 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 not happy with the idea of selling free samples. Um, but on the other hand, of course, we are making money by recommending printers, by showing printers in a positive light, because people will buy them through affiliate links. And I don't know. Isn't isn't that the same thing? It's kind of the same thing. Um... I don't know. I, I think you kind of have to earn the trust of the community over over time, uh, in in a way that they know that if you're doing a review, you are kind of unbiased. I think there can't really be an unbiased review. You, there's yeah. always, as I said, uh, just to be kind to show something off is already being a little bit biased but um in the end try to if if you are making a review which is as objective as possible it is okay and in that way i don't feel as a paid youtuber in the like bad um how do you say in the like just just you, you're not a show this is a bad thing i'm sorry i'm not a not a show i'm not a shell uh shill for from from shilling um ah shill okay yeah yep. the guy that linus sebastian is is being <laughs> accused of being <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're, you're not shilling for a company um but but it is it is a hard thing and as i said it is tempting because if you're talking oh, sure. be- better about the products you also have affiliate links for you're gonna get more sales yeah and there are um probably plenty of other YouTubers around there who use that for their own benefit. Yeah. And, and it, I just try to be as openly as possible. And uh, I hope that I have never like recommended anything that's, uh, yeah, that wasn't the way as, as it well should be, but it, it's a fine line. Yeah. Um, now, of course, 
with that approach of okay you're earning more if you make a positive review of something um if you produce a positive review for me that has kind of manifested in if i'm not happy with a product i don't make a review of it because it's it's literally not worth my time and effort to you know fully script out something fully investigated if it's just a bad printer like the anet e10 which is like a ender 3 clone which is a, a pressure clone but the ender e10 is just a bad printer and i've uh, the sorry anet e10 did i say ender e10 the anet e10 is just not a good printer and i've 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 used it once i've unboxed it i was like this is what is this crap so i never made a video of it um that's that's kind of how how i deal with it though i mean i i guess i should be making reviews of the bad products as well even if it doesn't pay even if it's i don't know i don't know this is this is yeah, hard th- this is this hard is the, stuff this is the hard thing uh and yeah it, it's the same with me but in the end you have to pay your bills at the end of the month so you either don't review them and uh, make videos about things that will get more views and yeah, will make you more money in the end. Uh, or you're making bad 3D printer reviews and don't talk about them that bad and earn tons of affiliate money. Yeah. So I also rather think that you should skip these printers and uh, talk about different things. But on the other hand, people also should be informed if yeah. things are bad. But uh, at the end, you, you have to be paid. This is the problem. Yeah, We all have to be it's, paid. It's, it's a job. And affiliates do make up a considered amount of my income. And I'm sure they make up a considered amount of pretty much any other influencer, visible persons, uh, key online, key opinion leaders. Uh, <laughs> income as well and thankfully through through projects like the mark ii clone and other stuff where i can just go okay this 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 i'm just using these parts i think that that's a that's a good middle ground to kind of create a, a you know continuous income stream of affiliate sales um and that's not like judging those products it's just okay i'm using them and here you go here you can buy them on aliexpress that for, for me i think that's that's really made a, a difference to where I don't have to chase every single printer and, and maximize profit from every single machine. Mm. And also Patreon. Patreon really is is that great equalizer to to like give you that base level of okay, I'm not gonna be starving at the end of the month. Um and people value the content. We we've talked about this before. Value the content even if you don't push to sell something. Mm. Um on the other yeah. hand, uh, so we also have that in our show notes, uh, sponsors, sponsorships. So where you kind of advertise for a couple of seconds a product which has nothing to do with the video content itself. Which I think are is an amazing way to, to advertise. Um, if it's unrelated to your content, be my guest. But what if it is related to your content? <laughs> So the thing with with these sponsorships, sponsorships like Squarespace, like Skillshare, like Wix and whatever they are, they are in the first place unrelated to the video and the content you're making. And they're called sponsorships because you don't get paid by the amount of people who subscribe to that service. 
you get some, paid some just of them, some of them do work that way but usually it's a, it's okay. like a fixed based on how many people will will see that in well, integration or that ad that you, you mm-hmm. put in in the video it's just a fixed amount you get typically unrelated sponsorships are in my opinion a good thing because it really helps us pay our bills it helps us make content that doesn't make us tons of money and uh, um, you're not tempted to talk for the whole video in a totally positive manner about that thing because you're just placing that ad and you don't get paid more if more people are signed up at least for the programs i have been working with so far and uh this is something nice this is also just yeah as i said helps helps us keeping uh helps us paying bills and helps at least well probably both of us make videos that are won't be watched by like millions yeah or um, won't sell products like in the 10000s yeah so so sponsorships i mean i'm i'm totally fine with them usually my my biggest point of contention if that's how you say that um is how long and how specific the the sponsorship integrations are um because of the way it usually works is you, you get a very very clear outline of okay uh it needs to be 30 seconds long or 45 seconds long and you need to mention this this and this mm. and to fill that space here's some talking points um like squarespace how they have award-winning design templates and they have 24 7 customer support i mean everyone knows that's like every single squarespace ad has those things in it and you get that like very clearly laid out and usually i'm like okay well 45 seconds that's pretty long if it's like a 10 minute video that's you know not quite 10 percent, but it's it's a significant chunk of the video that's usually my my point of, of friction mm. with those ads but in general, from a from a um, from a, from an independent of the sponsor standpoint, you're you're not like tying yourself to them. Um, there's not much to lose; like it doesn't affect your your main content in mm-hmm. a way. Of course, um, which is another point in this, which which is a bit deeper, is if your ad doesn't perform. Well, if not a lot of people sign up, of course you don't you don't lose or gain any, any money directly from that. But the sponsor may not come back if you just have an ad that you know nobody signs up for the service. So I mean, which is logical because you know no sponsor wants to waste a bunch of money on something that doesn't give them anything, no. or at least not anything measurable. Of course, it may mm. do stuff for brand awareness and all that, but it it doesn't directly result in sales. Mm. And that is not just a, an issue with sponsorships, but also with uh, reviews. So, you know, how how do you keep a uh, a manufacturer coming back and 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 providing review samples again if you're getting stuff for free if you're not buying it outright? Um, and we've actually had that. I've I've put the link here in our in our notes here. Um, iFixit has um, has actually gotten some. Uh, let me open this up. German article on Golem.de. So iFixit has had a teardown of the Galaxy Fold of, of Samsung's new folding smartphone, and they had taken it offline after a day or so after apparently Samsung complained about it. So, of course, iFixit doesn't have any any like legal or samsung doesn't have any legal stand to to demand the takedown of that teardown 
but iFixit still complied because they didn't want to um, to get Samsung angry and possibly, you know, have Samsung not provide units anymore. It's kind of the same thing that Apple does. Um, Apple provides free review samples to, you know, reviewers, but if you don't provide a positive review after that, then you're not getting the sample as early as everyone else. You may need to order it through, you know, your, your normal channels, or you may just you may just be two weeks late. And that is, of course, a significant disadvantage in, in something that is as fast-paced as the tech world. Of course, in 3D printing, it's not that extreme yet, but there is... I, I am aware that you if you want to keep working with a manufacturer, you kind of need to, to give them something um, in return. Thankfully, there are enough manufacturers out there that I don't really care who I work with um, and whose products I, I get to test. But yeah, that is something that you just need to, to be aware of as well. Mm. Yeah, indeed. All right. So yeah, I, I think we, we didn't quite finish the, the part of... Um, are we paid YouTubers? Are we are we paid YouTubers and and the um, payment for review? Because there are a few different things uh, and and ways that manufacturers can pay for reviews or or exert pressure. So the first one we said was was straight up payment for a review, which is morally not that great. There is the the affiliate. Um, affiliate programs which we've talked about and there is the approach of refund after review <laughs> which some amazon sellers apparently do so they'll tell you okay you you can buy this product you make a review for us and then we refund you the full uh the full price you paid and that i think is putting just a lot of pressure on the reviewer because what if what if the company isn't happy with the review? Like you, you, you're gonna have bought something that you don't really need, and you're gonna be out. You know, if it's a three printer, you know, three hundred, four hundred, eight hundred bucks. That is something that is who. The same thing as a paid review, right? It's the but, same as a paid review. But have you actually been like um, asked for something like that before? Yes. Okay. Yes, by various Chinese sellers on Amazon. Okay. I just well yeah I I know it from Amazon that uh, or I have yeah well there were some filament manufacturers and because it's it's a good thing for them if they have verified purchase Amazon reviews on That's the Amazon if, pages if it, yeah if you're just leaving a review on Amazon yeah yeah and you kind of trust them um, or you kind of no we should trust, trust Amazon reviews. <laughs> Just no, I should trust Amazon reviews, but uh, many actually don't know that even though it yes. says, okay, verified purchase, that um, these samples could actually be these review samples where the people who wrote that review um, could have been paid in a way that they got this product for free. But let, let's be totally straight about this. That is against Amazon's terms of service. Amazon yeah. has that feature built in where it's um, this reviewer got the product for free, where it's a little tag at the review that Amazon puts in there. Amazon, I think, has the Vine program Vine, yeah. Yeah, um, themselves. And I think um, resellers who work through Amazon or sell through Amazon also can take advantage of that but of course if you get something and then get it refunded outside of amazon then that tag is not there and it looks like you straight up bought it mm. um but it, the, the the thing is also it's 
outside of Amazon too. Like an Amazon, typically it's Amazon Zellers, but there will be like, okay, you make a YouTube video and once that's up, then you get a refund. And yeah, <sighs> the same thing as, as being straight up paid for, for it, but it, it just has more pressure on you uh, to actually produce something that the, the reseller is happy with. Yeah. Um, so are we paid YouTubers? Yes, of course we are, yeah, but sure. I think we we give our best to be as like trustful as possible. And yes. you have already said it, and I also already said it. I try to make other content where I don't get near that pit where you can fall into. But still from time to time, um, this is also content that is showing up on my channel i i like to use these things for live streams because i enjoy doing live streams and getting new printers or or accessories for printers uh gives me a topic to talk about in a live stream yeah so yeah uh, it's even though this is not a full review but yeah yeah i mean i mean i've, I've, I've unboxed many printers and not reviewed them too um in the same way but yeah um I think in the end, it really depends on, you know, where your moral compass is, is pointing, like what you are willing to to go along with and, and how you're clear with yourself, what you want to do and what you definitely don't want to do. Um, I think we, we both agree pretty much on, on what we're, where we're drawing the line. And in fact, I've, I've outlined my review guidelines and sponsorship guidelines on my website. You can let their link in the, in the bottom section of, the, of every single site every single page um so that that's public information for everyone that's a very clear okay this is what i'm going to do and this is what i'm definitely not going to do out there and uh, it, it, it's really a trust thing like you, like mm. you said there's a really good indicator um because like the trustworthiness of a youtuber can be checked if you compare the number of like youtube subscribers and video views against the number of patreons <laughs> uh, because in a, in a way because i th i think or um so what i have just seen in the past if there are big channels who are doing reviews and things like these and don't have lots of patreon followers this is a first indication for me that they are doing more paid content and if it's the other way around people are appreciating that they are openly telling them their opinion and are not aiming towards affiliate sales and just well talking good about products which aren't and this is then appreciated with a well patreon support that's the the way i hope it works yeah um of course there are other things that go into that like how aggressively is a patron patron campaign yes, being being pushed and marketed um how long has the campaign been around at what yeah. point was it started and well, all, there's, there's a lot more that goes into that mm. but yeah you're right you're right it's actually it's a bit, it's look, look at ave or uh project farm <laughs> they well they are both claiming that they are like um 
buying everything on their own. They don't have any affiliate links in the description, but they just have tons of uh, Patreon supporters. And taking a look at at Ave, who I don't know has 10, 20,000 Patreons. Oh, wow. He, yeah, he is earning quite some money with that. Well, earning quite some money, but he's also giving it back in his open review style and things like these. And also um, Project Farm, which I really like to like to watch from time to time. Yeah, came um, out of nowhere, right? He came out from nowhere, but he did it in a kind of interesting way. And it, it kind of reminds me of the things I'm also doing. Yeah. And he just says, okay, he can't do these open reviews uh, if he would have affiliate links down uh, in his description or if he uh, would get uh, things for free. So he buys everything on his own. It gets appreciated by the patrons and he can do that with the support he's getting there because YouTube, even though it's, it's paying a little, it's in the end probably not paying his bills. Yeah, well, AdSense revenue wildly varies between channels and yes. <laughs> depending on your audience and all that. Um, but yeah, so so I guess uh, thank thank you thank you patrons. Is of is course. that is that what what the what the uh, bottom line is? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, autoplay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, cool. Should we? Was there one more thing that I wanted to talk about here? Mm, nah. Well, y you can add something like, hey, this is future Tom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about something. Um, we are already quite a while into the podcast. So I think let's maybe just talk about one question in the end. And this was posed by Custom RC Tuning couple of days ago under um the podcast hey guys the... this is austin now <laughs> hey guys <laughs> question for your next episode what do you hate the most about fdm printing in general Sorry. and it was quite a hard topic for us to to think about <laughs> and uh for me it it also still is because i really like fdm printing but one of the things since i'm really impatient is i hate about fdm 3d printing that for big parts it takes ages until I get my design out. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate that my printers are too small. I wish that <laughs> I wish I had a hang printer. I wish I had space for a hang printer. That's I think that that's one thing that yeah we've we've talked about this on the very we've first been episode, dis discussing right? yeah. that I think on our first episode. Uh, if you want to dig into that deeper, faster or bigger three D printers, but yeah, this is something which is bothering myself. What is bothering you? Yeah, uh, again, like. Printers aren't big enough. I wish that they were really big. Um, I guess the biggest limitation, but not necessarily hate, it's just a, a limitation of the process is like really fine and accurate details. Like you can't really do like super precise. Um, uh, passing a god. Um, fits. Um, how do you say? <laughs> where, where you're like fitting a pin to a hole, mm -hmm. uh, where you're fitting a pin that's already on your part or on a on a you know normal injection molded part and you're trying to fit a 3d printed part on it you don't get the tolerances necessary for that and it's always trial and error i think that is a, that is a pretty big limitation but people will be saying why don't you try sla printing yeah, yeah but that, that Comes has its own problems sort of, yeah yes. um i don't think there's a hate on that it's just yeah 
So we're, mm. we're both happy with FDM 3D printing. That's <laughs> yeah, why we are doing this. And I think this concludes today's episode. All right. Fantastic. It was great talking to you, Stefan. And great if you guys enjoyed the episode, get subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. Get subscribed on YouTube if you're watching here. Uh, support us on Patreon. Leave a like. Leave a like. Leave a comment below on what you would like to see next. Leave your questions. Leave a rating on iTunes. Can we can we do yes. that? Yeah. And we have a couple of ratings there. Oh, I hope it's all five-star ratings. <laughs> uh, last time I checked, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you guys are awesome. Uh, leave some more if you, if you feel like it. And yeah, good talking to you. Good talking to you. And see you in the next one. See ya. Bye. Bye.